Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to season two of the Toll Shed. I'm your host, Logan Carney, here with Matt Kurtick, as always, and Alex Temple replacing Luke Yost. Now, we had an episode earlier in the year, but we're going to officially say this is the new start of season two. We got a new intro song, as we will be adapting this into a web show, so don't go anywhere in a couple months, because you'll be able to see our beautiful faces on camera. <laughs> now, again... I'd like to thank you guys all for coming here today um, on the Toll Shed. Again, Logan Carney here with Matt Kurtick and newbie Alex Temple. Alex, how are you today? This is your second show. I'm great. So excited to be here. Matt, what about you? I mean, you, you came up with the topic list for it. I mean, were you excited for this? I am excited. I'm glad to be back in the, in the radio room talking about my favorite uh, sport at RMU. So why don't we just jump right in then? Why don't we, why don't we just get started? Um, now the Robert Morris basketball team are off to a bit of a, a slow start, if you want to say that. I mean, they have. it's not like they've been playing bad teams. Um, they're 0-2 against USC and Missouri State. But against USC, I don't know if you guys were watching. I think, Matt, actually, you were watching. Alex, I don't know. You were I was watching. watching as well. Yeah, I, they had it. They... We're in the game until midway through the second the second half. So, why don't you start with the recap on, on what what happened, Matt? I mean, because you were very excited about that game. So, why, why don't you tell us what happened? Oh, for sure, I was extremely excited about that game. Anytime I get to watch uh, Robert Morris go into a, a, a big D one school, this one's in the Pac twelve. Anytime I get to see them go to a school like USC and see them play well because usually whenever we watch RMU in games like this they're down by 30 early it doesn't really seem like there's any catching up but to only be down by two against USC at USC that was a that was big time and they were winning that game uh going in you know to late stages of it I think with 10 minutes left they were still kind of in it uh unfortunately they fell off and they ended up losing 83-62 um but they were in that game for I'd say a large portion of it and that was something that was really nice to see yeah, I mean USC. They went 24 and 12 last year. Um, going to be referencing this website a lot because it's the only statistical website that is is, is the best top out there outside of basketball reference. But Ken Palm had them last year. He's the 51st best team in the country. So it is it is a big win. Alex, what were your thoughts from the USC game? Uh, I thought they certainly played strong. I'd say losing by 21 doesn't really give them justice of the effort they brought into that game. I think that's a big part of what Andy Tool brings to the table is showing the effort of his team and getting his teams to give maximum effort. And they certainly had that for at least 75% of that game. It just got ugly in the end. Yeah, I mean, you look at halftime, it's 37-35. So they, they were still – they were down by two and a half. Um, and, and, you know, you look at some of this – and this is where we're going to get into a little bit later. You look at their field goal percentage in the first half, 42.42%. Second half, 27.03%. Now they were playing USC. This is a great this is a great team, as we alluded to, very good defensively. Do you credit that to the reason their shooting percentage fell off in the second in the second half, or do you think this is something that we're going to see from Robert Morris this year? I think it's tough to say, just for that being the first game. Um, you know, sometimes you make shots, sometimes you don't. Unfortunately, I think USC really picked up the pace in the second half. They were challenging our shooters. It seemed like the shots that the Colonials were putting up were coming late in the shot clock. And unfortunately, that is usually the cause for shooting poorly from the field. And I think that's what we saw um, in the second half there. What about the return of Malik Petaway, somebody that they lost um, halfway through? And I'll, I'll leave this open for either of you two guys to jump in. 
Petaway is somebody that was very important down low for them last year in the early seasons, but they lost him before conference play. And that, that obviously affected the team because, you know, you didn't have that big man opposite of Kobe Thomas um, like Petaway. So what is it, to, you know, his performance? Does, does he, does you, are you glad that he's back, basically? How, how big of a difference is it having him this year, especially when you're dealing with the loss of Deshaun Burke? I think it's uh, a big addition bringing him back, well, having him back. Uh, for the past couple of years, uh, Robert Morris has struggled to find a big man presence on the roster, someone that can grab rebounds. That's an area they've struggled with at times. So having him back, having Malik back, will be a, a big boost for this team, I think. Yeah, and your thoughts? Yeah, and I agree. I mean, he's six foot eight, weighs 240 pounds, so he's a big guy to have in the paint. And I mean, Kobe Thomas is a tall guy too. He's six foot seven, I think. But I mean, he's a skinnier a skinnier player. So to have a big presence, he kind of reminds me of Aaron Tate that the Colonials had um, years prior in which he just got every rebound. And that's something that the Colonials struggled with last year whenever he was hurt. And I think with him being on the team this year and being healthy, it'll really, really uh, change the way that the Colonials play this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still only two games, so it's not something that we can say – you know, oh, he's he's going to be great. But it, it, he's putting up some good signs so far through two games. Sorry I was speaking away a little bit from the mic if it's if that sounded weird for you folks at home. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we've got to apologize to the fans out there. Come on now. Um, Come on, but looking at some of the stuff, you know, just the two points. It's two games, again, keeping that in mind um, so far on the year, looking at it. And he only has – Six rebounds in the very limited time. Kobe Thomas, by the way, has 20. Phenomenal, phenomenal play. But four of those six rebounds were offensive rebounds. He's actually – his offensive rebound percentage is over 10 at 11.2. Um, again, according to Ken Palms, got to cite those statistics from somewhere because I didn't just pull, pull them up but, or pull them out of my head. There but, you go. Which is the highest on the team right above Kobe Thomas, and that's offensive rebound percentage. But, you know, we mentioned – and it's two games. Now we mentioned that it's it's well, they haven't had that great big man presence. Kobe Thomas right now, his defensive rebound percentage at thirty nine point seven, which is eighth in the entire country. Now it is two games, so I'm gonna ask you guys a quick buy or sell. Are you guys buying in the Kobe Thomas this year? I think there's no reason not to. I mean, he was the NEC Rookie of the Year last year. So clearly he was, in terms of the people that voted, he was the best the best freshman in the entire conference. Um, and with us losing Deshaun Burke, with the Colonials losing Deshaun Burke, he obviously has a bigger uh, role to fill, and I think that he's going to thrive. I'm going to have to sell on this one. I think uh, those rebounding numbers are a little high early. I think at times he's struggled on defense, particularly due to him that might have to be because he was our big man, essentially, and he he isn't exactly the largest big man out there. And uh, offensively, he played okay, but 43% for a big man and shot from three rather poorly. So that definitely needs to improve. So right now I'm going to have to sell on him. Well, he averaged only 6.9 last year, which from a big man, you know. But, again, that he, he was a freshman. Yeah, that, so is, that, that is, is something. True. You know, there's two ways that you can look at it. You know, you can look at a big man. If your big man averages less than seven rebounds, is he really that big of a man? Like what I said there. But <laughs> I like the way you phrased that, Logan. <laughs> but um, and that being said, he was also a freshman. Is that a good sign, you know, for things to come? He was also the second highest scorer last year behind Burke. Averaged 12 points per game, which is something 
um, to, to consider. Malik Petaway last year in his um, limited time before he unfortunately had that injury, 6.2 rebounds per game and very limited. So having those two, I mean, at least in my opinion, in my opinion, um, will be significantly better in terms of controlling the paint. Because it's not like the NEC is that great in terms of big men. It's not like it's the Big East. You know, it's not like it's built on big men. Yeah. Um, I think those two, with with a combination of Williams brothers, McConnell, all these other guys that they have, I think they're good enough that they can, you know, they're near the top of the NEC, in my opinion. Your thoughts on that? Do you think they're near the top in the NEC this year? The, I think that Robert Morris will finish uh, in – the top four of the NEC this year. I think they're capable. I think they have enough talent this year, opposed to years prior, to make it that far and to play that well. Yeah, I think they're capable of winning the whole thing. I'm not going to say that they're going to do that, but they definitely have more talent this year than they have in the past four years, for sure. And what we see this year that we haven't seen in prior years is a lot more, a lot more players on our team that have more than one year of experience. I think watching them the last few years you only see about one or two players that have really had a role the year before but this year you look Charles Bain had a big role last year John Williams had a big role last year Matt McConnell obviously had a big role last year um, and then Kobe Thomas and Malik before he was injured had a big role and as well as Chris Coleman who played a lot of games too and then Josh Williams who has division one experience playing at Akron so you have a lot of guys that actually have some division one experience on this team that are going to be role players this year. and it's still a pretty young team too yeah so they, they have only... experience and they're a pretty young team I believe only one senior um, in Manny McConnell this year yeah um Alex, uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on just terms of ex- experience of the team? Do you think that's something that, you know, like you said, they're, they're a young team, but they are a young team with experience. Do you think that's going to benefit them, or do you think we're still going to see some of those um, young um, mistakes? I think you're always going to expect mistakes from young players, but uh, like Matt mentioned, we have experience this year that we haven't had in years past. and well, they, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't know you it, were suiting up there for the know, for the men's basketball team. It's always been a dream of mine. But <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, they. Yeah, I think I think they have a lot of experience, and that should definitely help them this year. Uh, but there are still young players on the team, but I think it's still an improvement over years past. So, again, we're going to look at this schedule this year as we do a quick little season preview. I know it's not on your, your topic list here. Sorry about that. But we'll go real quick. It's fine. Um, it's fine. Your, your th- <laughs> we talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but, of course, that was a while ago. That was a while ago. Um, there's Their schedule this year, they have four, t- four teams in which are the top 100 places to play, in, according to Kemp Ponks, that they're taking on. Obviously, three-year power five in USC – Purdue and Louisville. Those are those are three top five right there. Yeah. Um, Ryder is the, the fourth one. What is, but they also are playing two teams that aren't division one. And Mount Amalicious, I believe. Mount Aloysius. Mount Aloysius and Hood. The, of course the home opener um, on tomorrow tomorrow love, night. Love Hood College. I didn't know that was a real place until <laughs> I saw it on the schedule this year. So what are you thinking about this schedule? Are you, are you excited that you know, they're t- playing these tough teams. Now, of course, this is an NEC team, so non-conference schedule is not nearly as important as a Power 5 school. But what are, what are your opinions on just um, what this schedule is? They have three really tough games, two easy wins, and a lot of in-between in their non-conference. Well, I think there's two ways to look at what they're doing here. There's The obvious one is, is it going to improve your team? I think so. I think by having freshmen or at least young players go and play you know, players in the, you know, power five like USC and Louisville and Purdue, it's amazing that we're playing all three teams or that the Colonials are playing all three teams 
uh, this season. But then you have to look at it. There's another financial reason that you play those two. And I think by playing Power 5 schools, it's going to bring in money to the program too, which gives you a better opportunity to recruit players from outside of your whatever their region is that they're recruiting. And it seems to be almost like the New York City area. But it gives you more money to do that as well. So there's two reasons that Annie Tool did that. And I think both are going to pay off for the Colonials. So you think this run. is like this, – this is your – if you were – so if you were coach, this is your ideal schedule. This Three is, Power 5, two – Two easy wins and then a bunch of in-betweens. Yeah, I mean, you need to play good teams for your team to understand what it takes to be successful. But you need to play teams that aren't as talented to almost give your team some confidence going into the season. What, what about you, Alex? you think three power fives is too much for a team? Or do you think this is – or do you agree with uh, Matt that it's, that it's pretty much an ideal schedule for a team like Robert Morris? I actually agree with Matt on this one. Thank uh, you. I think it is uh, – an ideal schedule for Robert Morris because, like you mentioned, uh, in the NEC, non-conference isn't really a big role because you don't need to worry about getting an at-large. So just giving the players an opportunity to play schools like USC and travel the country, like other than basketball, that's a great experience. International, too. They went to Ireland over the summer. Yeah, international. <laughs> like That's a great experience for these players. It's an interesting experience for the fans as well. We love seeing Robert Morris play schools like USC. It's just more exciting. So I think it's good for the players, for the fans. So you mentioned the fans. The rec center was announced yesterday by the athletic department. sold out. And then in case you, um, you at home don't know how they're doing tickets, how Robert Morris is doing tickets this year, they are selling. They sold 800 tickets of their 1,000. They increased the seating in the student recreation center to 1,000. 800 of those tickets, uh, which we can judge by basically them saying that they're only allowing 200 students in, is going to season ticket holders only. They're not selling in individual game tickets, um, which would stink if they were hosting a team like Kentucky again. But <laughs> I, they would probably figure something else out if that was the case. Outside game. Yeah. But anyway, so the, the one, so they sold approximately 800 season tickets this year. Now, a lot of that is because they are building the new UPMC Event Center, and you basically get a guaranteed seat in the UPMC Event Center if um, a guaranteed season ticket, if you buy a season ticket this year. Matt, how big is it, do you think, of a difference is that they're going to be playing in a smaller capacity? Granted, they're getting more people there on average that they're going, they're, at least it looks like, because they only averaged about 700 fans last year. But how, how, many, how much better do you think that this is an opportunity more? And are you, now I know you were very supportive of the move. Does this does this basically say I was right by 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 um, them selling out this year? Well, Logan, I didn't really need this to back up that <laughs> I was right, but I mean, this only helps my case more. I I love the idea of playing at the rest center. Unfortunately, it it creates a problem just having to deal with uh, campus recreation in terms of you know programs and intramurals that go on at the rest center. It obviously creates a little bit of a problem, but for the athletic department, this was obviously the right move. Um, if, if the cases are going to have a thousand seats there, that's fine. They averaged way less than that last year when they were playing downtown and only having 200 students that can get in, you know, that can be a little sketchy, especially if you have more than 200 students that want to go. But this assures that the 200 students that are going are really, you know, they really care about the team. So you're going to have loud, maybe 200 students that are there that are making this atmosphere just crazy. And then you have 800 fans 
uh, outside season ticket holders that are going to support this team as well. So I think it just really creates an atmosphere for these players that they want to play there, and I think the fans will also want to be there for these games. And bigger schools have had um, different ways. For example, um, Pitt, you used to do for the Oakland Zoo, you used to have a committee in getting in. You basically had to go to um, soccer games and other games mm -hmm. like that and be in that student section, and then your ticket number will rise, and then you'd be able to pick – a certain game to go to and that's how they did it so it's not like um, the capacity issue of of there's only going to be 200 students in is something that isn't experienced by other schools that being said 200 is a very very small number and a lot more significantly smaller than and than the school like what the Oakland Zoo could fit or, or even other NEC neighbors can fit um, so, so Alex, what are your thoughts on the fact that only 200 students per game are going to be able to see it? Do you think it's a, a little bit greedy by them for not giving more students, or do you, or do you agree with with how Robert Morris uh, di divided their tickets up this year? Uh, personally, I'd like to see more students get access to go to these games. But if you look at it last year, I mean, if these students were really dedicated. There would have been more than 10 students at the game. So, I think. They didn't really leave the university with much of a choice. If people are demanding to purchase tickets over giving away them to students for free, I think that plays into the decision a little bit. But I would definitely like to see more students with the option to go to the games. Better question is, do you think that they're going to get 200 students at every game? See, that's that's the issue, is that we can say that there could be there should be more students admitted into the games. What makes you think that 200 are even going to be there? I think that... For most of the games, there will be around 200 students there because 200 students isn't a lot, especially when you have over early. You know, I, I, I see, find a tough time of them not selling out before the semester's over. Yeah, and you have at least, I mean, you have a student body of over 4,000 people. Um, I don't know how many live on campus. I don't know the exact number that would, you know, are walking distance from the arena. But at the same time, who knows who's going to show well, up. Well, so the Colonial Crazies is also back um, in terms of it's, it's being a lot more helped with, with the athletic departments putting a lot more help into the student section. Do you think that's going to help? Do you think that they're doing – there's a couple questions here. One, do you think that um, the athletic de department's larger role in the student section, um, or at least assumed larger role in, in how much it's going to help and more – more press for the Colonial Crazies is going to help get that 200 students? And two, do you think that part of the reason that we're seeing more about the Crazies is because they may have been a little bit worried that they weren't going to get 200 students to the game? I think the school has certainly showed an effort to make basketball in particular a priority at this school. So I think that's part of the reason why they're trying to make the Crazies come back bigger and better than ever. And I think it's because they need people to come to these games at the rec center for it to be worth it for them to have to say they play in a rec center. They need to at least sell those out. I think that's important. And I think, I mean, the, the for the university, when you look at bigger schools, we'll just take, let's just look at, you know, Pitt and Penn State, for example. You know, some of the most student-like oriented things are, well, Penn State's football student section, which is crazy, and Pitt's Oakland Zoo. And that kind of increases student life, increases you know, like student popularity over weekends is getting kids to stay and be involved on campus is having them go to these social events, which happen to just be sporting events. So to have a, a group dedicated to making that happen was probably something that the university and the athletic department both looked at as a priority. Well, we are running a little bit behind on time. We only have about 10 minutes left. Crazy. And we still got a couple topics left to go through. Um, <laughs> just a real quick though. Do you think the move last year to UPM to PPG paints, 
what if you have one word to describe what it was, what is it? To PPG Paints? Yes. Failure? <laughs> Mine would be disaster, so the same exact you know, <laughs> same idea. Disaster. It, it it was a terrible atmosphere. I mean it was a eighteen thousand arena with five hundred people in it. There's no atmosphere. They paid thousands of dollars to play. In well, we arena. don't know. We we don't know. We we assume. We have to specify. We have to specify that. Well, let's assume they've paid a thousand thousands of dollars per game to play in that arena, and for it to not have as many fans as they would have ever dreamed for, obviously, is just. I just would say it's disastrous. All right, then then we're gonna move on to this next topic that Matt, you're very excited about. So why don't you go ahead and introduce All it? All right. So. The three of us were talking about the Colonials, you know, this season and just in seasons prior. Um, obviously, last year, um, there were some questions about what players on our team, you know, contributed to the wins and what players kind of – I don't really know how to phrase it, but we talked earlier about Matty McConnell. And Matty McConnell, we can say, is a tremendous defensive player. Uh, this year, I don't know what his number of steals are this year, but he is a great defensive player, and he definitely fits the steam of Andy Tool well. But I guess the question to ask is, is Matty McConnell an effective offensive basketball player? And, Logan, I'll let you start with that. What do you, what do you think? Well, I know your whole argument, so – You want us to start then? Yeah, you, you guys can – well, one of you two can Alex, start. I'll go you second. Start? You want me to start? I'll start. Okay, so – uh, for his career, Matty McConnell is shooting roughly 33%. And last year alone, he shot about six threes per game, 5.8 to be exact. Uh, and that, that's a pretty significant number uh, for any basketball player. And he shot slightly below 30%. So he certainly struggled from three last year. Uh, so he certainly has room to improve. And that wasn't just last year. He shot below 30% in all of his years here from three at Robert Morris, uh, below 40% each year from the field. Those are certainly numbers that you'd like to see him improve upon. They are, and I agree that he has struggled from this. Since since coming to RMU, since leaving high school where he was a prolific scorer, um, and since coming to RMU he has struggled to shoot, especially from the three-point in terms of percentage. I agree with that 100%. However... There are a lot of other numbers that I think looking at, you know, M- Matty McConnell specifically, that he's that he's he just shows that he is a very a, at least at the very least a decent offensive player. The very very least, I don't think he's he's this light in the world on fire offensive player. Again, I think his 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 value is significantly on the defense, like you alluded to earlier. Great, he was forty third in the country in steal percentage last year from the defensive end, which is very significant. That's that's how much. Um, he can. Um, it's basically just how much he generates steals for his team. Whether it's it's him guarding a guy closely and the guy messes up, makes a bad pass, and somebody else steals it, or if he takes the ball away himself. That's pretty much what steal percentage was, and he was forty third in the entire country. However, his his offensive rating it was it was one one hundred two point eight. It was offensive efficiency rating, which basically for those of you at home that don't know. It, 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 when you look at offensive efficiency rating, it takes account of all the points that you are a part of. So it, it, it is basically a better version of plus minus. And that was the highest on the team, higher actually than Deshaun Burke. Um, again, though, but that shot percentage, the shot percentage, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, it was bad. 
2.299 from three-point range, uh, 0.45, 0.435 from two-point range. That's that's not a very good shoot. It's not a good shooting percentage. So his his free throw percentage was barely under eighty percent. So he has value there, but his free throw. But that's you know if you don't get to the foul line, that's, that's there's nothing you can really do. I think overall offensively, I think and with his defensive value, I think there's zero reason that he is not one of the best players on the team. Like everybody talks about him. Because defensively his value is high. Offensively, I, I I think he's a de- I think he is a decent a very I think he's a solid offensive player. I don't think he's somebody that's going to light the world on fire, but I don't think he's somebody that's going to handicap the team. See, I I mean I have no problem with Matty McConnell being in the starting lineup because he is a senior. He has the most experience on this team. Probably almost all players combined, he has the most experience. He plays. He's played in the most games, most minutes of any player on the team currently actively. So to not have him out there, obviously, I'm not making a case that Matty McConnell should be a starter on the team or even play for that matter. I just – and you use all of these weird statistics from Ken Palm <laughs> that you're going to say his offensive efficiency is whatever percentage and it's ranked this in the NEC and the NCAA. And I get it. But whenever you're an offensive player, you're, you're, the idea is that whenever you shoot, it should go in. And whenever you're shooting the ball too much – and you know he he has to know deep in his mind sometimes like he probably has this thought probably since his freshman year here that he probably isn't confident in his shot anymore cuz you mentioned in high school he was a great basketball player there's a reason that he was he had D1 offers so there's no there's no issue with him getting an offer to a division 1 school but there's comes to a point where he needs to either figure out what's going going on here because this team needs to move in a certain direction to make shots and if he knows that he isn't going to make these shots then he shouldn't be taking them he shoots the ball too much for what he makes. You shouldn't be shooting under 30% and have the most three-point attempts on the team. And that just that goes from an offensive perspective. And I, I agree from three-point – from three-point – ah, my apologies, a little bit messed up speaking. But his three-point shooting has not been great since he has come here, for looking at percentage-wise. But, again, his value in terms of his offensive abilities in other, in other areas – in conference games last year, his assist rate, 24th in the conference. His turnover rate, 17th best in the entire conference. Um, and, and, and number one on the team, too. Uh, defense, even defensive rebounds. He was 25th in the conference in defensive rebounds. He's a guard. And he was 25th in the, in the, in the conference. So, so the, these are numbers that are significant. And this is where his value is. It's in these other areas around um, his, his, the aspect of his game. Three-point shooting, he has struggled... I agree he shouldn't shoot as much as he had. There's no reason he should shoot 184 times if you're only making 55 shots. I agree with that. Although, keep in mind, he was also a very streaky player last year. Where he had that whole stretch where he didn't make a single three-point percent, a three-point shot, and then he also had a couple games in which he scored at least 20 points. So offensively, in terms of shooting, he was a streaky player last year. It's, 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 it's a tough scenario. It, it basically says, you know, how much do you value an individual scoring? When, whenever, on in my opinion, there are other playmakers on the team. I agree that he should shoot more, but I think he could be extremely valuable. If, um, example, if John Williams took a bit larger role in the scoring offense, because John Williams was top one hundred at three point percentage last year, so John Williams in the country. So John Williams is a significant player. He's a very good player. Um, Kobe Thomas is great down low. That's a guy that 
with the right in the right system, Kobe Thomas can average under you know 15, 17 points. He he could be as good as Burke was last year in the right system. McConnell is a, is the perfect piece to supplement both of those two in terms of in, in his offensive ability. He's a great defensive player, and I think in offensive ability, he's the perfect piece to supplement you know the other guys on this team that should be the lead scorers in terms of Kobe Thomas and the Williams brothers. I think a part of the issue with his low field goal percentage and three-point percentage may be the system. If you look at it, Robert Morris as a team was 326 out of 351 division schools in field goal percentage and last in the NEC. That's that's not very good. And they were 269th in three-point field goal percentage, 286 in points per game. So maybe, you, got, you got to keep in mind, too, they were a very, very young team last yeah, year, too. So these, these are numbers that could very easily go up um, with, with another year of experience. And I remember they, what, they started off conference play eight wins in a row. He, I don't remember. Say, I can't remember the exact. Number, yeah, but they, they started, started off conference well. play very well. They were first. I mean, we were saying here, this is the team that's going to win the conference. Um, they obviously ended up not doing that. I mean, they're a team that I think offensively, I think Maddie McConnell was the one that could lead the charge offensively, but he doesn't need to be your your. He shouldn't be shooting 184 we, times from three point. To range. go off on that, I think the game that the Colonials played against the Trojans, USC, Maddie McConnell had probably one of the best games that I've seen him play, and he didn't score a single point. I mean, he did the he, same he thing last 10, year against Ohio State. He had 10, yeah, he scored 22 against Ohio State last year, but he had zero points, but he had 10 rebounds and seven assists. And it wasn't that he was just assisting. It was what he was doing on offense, which is what a leader on the team should do. You don't have to be the best scorer on the team to be your best player necessarily. You can just still be the best player offensively without shooting, like by passing the ball. We talked about Rondo a lot, uh, Rajon Rondo, and how he wasn't always the best scorer for the Celtics, but he was one of their best offensive players. He's probably the most important player on those on that t- exactly. those teams, too, so with I think, three other stars. I think that if Matty McConnell understands his role in offense is that he isn't the shooter that he might have been before. If he understands that if he is passing the ball to his teammates and he's creating chances, the pass that he had over his well, back. Do you think he – I mean, looking at these shot totals, he only had six shots in that game. Kobe Thomas had 17. Josh Williams had 17. John Williams had nine. Charles Bain had seven. So mm-hmm. he – and Malik Petaway had seven. So he was six in the amount of shots last year in, in, the, in the USC game, the one we're referencing, even though, you know, he played 34 minutes, which was tied for the most with Josh Williams. So do you think – that that's a, do you think going forward this year we're going to see him shoot less, and do do you think that that's a reason because you know it's another year of experience for these guys. We got another Williams brother in. We got we got all this other stuff. Kobe will hopefully be more significant of a role, more consistent of a player. Malik Petaway is back. Do you think uh, McConnell? We won't see him shoot as much. And do you think that's going to benefit the team? Do you think it's going to benefit McConnell? I see. I don't know yet because. He shot six in the USC game. He shot nine in Missouri State, but he took six three-point. He shot three six three-point shots against Missouri State. I couldn't say that. That was a lot of a lot of different words going on right there. But no, so I don't. I I can't answer that. I have no idea what his going on in his mind and what he thinks of this system. All I know is that Josh Williams is a really good shooter, and that if Manny McConnell is understanding that and he knows that, hey, I don't have to be the shooter this year, or you know, quote unquote, the shooter. I can let other players on the team. You know, take these shots. Who knows what will happen this year? Uh, John Williams has been a great outside shooter. Uh, on the other hand, he has struggled a bit from when it comes inside the arc. He is shooting below 40% from the field. We are actually over time, guys. I don't know if you guys realize that. We've been getting lost in our conversations. These are very interesting conversations. They are. They are. So um, we're just going to do real quick um, some of the other news that happened. 
and we're gonna have to go through these quick because um, unfortunately we are running out of time. Um, Craig Coleman, the Dr. Craig Coleman stepped down as um, athletic director. Do you think this is going to have a significant or insignificant impact on the basketball team? R- real quick, real quick. I think it's not going to have much of an impact. I think uh, higher up people in this university have made it a point that they're going to focus on basketball. So I think no matter who was an athletic director, they're still going to focus on basketball the same. I think the same thing. I think Marty Delosi is right now taking over his uh, role as the athletic director, and that's who I see at the basketball games anyway. So I think I think we're going to see the same stuff this year. In terms of um, the game tomorrow, um, score predictions, go. I think we're going to put up 72, and I think we're going to hold them to 48. 80 to 35. Big time. Very significant wins. We're um, confident, expecting in, the, we're confident in the team this year, Logan. They're also playing, you know, what is it, a D2 team, D3 team? I can't confirm if they're a D2 <laughs> or a D3 school. <laughs> um, who needs to step up for the team to be successful this year? Is it Manny McConnell? No. I think that it needs to be – I think this year it's either Kobe Thomas or Josh Williams this year that needs to step up. I'm saying John Williams, Maddie, and Charles Bain because they all struggled to shoot from the field last year and they definitely need to improve. All right, and that is the end of the the tool shed. That was we just had a quick quick end there. But thank you guys all for joining us back in season two here, uh, the, the most successful show on RMU Century Media. Before I go though, before we take a shot at the other sports shows, I just wanted to say that um, a Christmas Carol, a little bit of advertising here. Um, our act theater production presents our annual holiday show, a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, adapted by Larry Spinaweber, directed by Dave Joseph, $7 at the door is cash only $5 for members of that group. Large groups may contact the Merrick at 724-846-1130. If you are interested, this is performed at and for the Merrick art gallery, 1100 fifth Ave, new Brighton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Steve from Romo's is in it. Steve from Romo's is in it. Um, and the shows will be November 30th and December 1st at 7 p.m. If you're interested in A Christmas Carol. So is that something you're interested in? I'm interested. <laughs> I'll go if Tucci's in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the time we have. Um, thank you guys all for joining us. Um, this has been The Toll Shed. We will see you not next week. We will see you in two. We probably should have just started after Thanksgiving break now that I think about it. Hey, who cares? <laughs> we're here and we're talking, right? We will see you in a couple weeks. Remember, we will be turning into a web show, so you'll be able to see our pretty faces very soon. So we'll, don't go anywhere. Even though we've been told that we have faces for radio, we will st- we will show our pretty faces in a bit on the web show. But anyway, this has been the Toll Shed. Thank you guys let's, all for listening. Let's go, Bobby Moe. <laughs>